I started teaching myself the Western ways of cooking through TV and reading, and then obviously had the Eastern values and ways of cooking from home, and I sort of started combining those two and just kept cooking my whole life. Welcome to episode one of season three of Proud to Be You, the official alumni podcast from Boston University. This is our first new episode in over three years, and we're so excited to bring this show back. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and today our guest is Chef Priyanka Nayak. I enjoyed talking with Priyanka about embracing her roots as a first-generation Indian-American in New York City and transforming her lifelong interest in food from a side hustle into a successful and rewarding but hectic career. Proud to Be You showcases the journeys of some of Boston University's most interesting and accomplished alumni. Inspiring grads share the highs, the lows, and the challenges they've overcome along the way from the calm out to innovative careers. No matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. Well, Priyanka, thanks so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Uh, are you, you're in New York City right now. Are you home? Are you willing to share that with us? I am home. This is my kitchen, unless someone else has this many cookbooks and, you know, my cookbook promptly displayed. I am, I'm home and I'm in Manhattan, New York. So you're in New York and you are born and raised in New York City. You grew up in Staten Island, right? Yep. Shaolin. <laughs> That's a Wu-Tang reference? Yes. I right, was perfect. like, going to get it. <laughs> I'm there. I'm picking it up. Yep. Um, how, how did you end up at BU then? Grew up in New York City your whole life, I take it. Yes. So I'm born and raised in Staten Island, New York. Um, and I ended up going to BU in 2006. This is probably not necessarily the answer you want to hear, but I received a pretty hefty scholarship from BU and I didn't get into my first choice Ivy League school. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to save my parents some money and I'm going to go to BU. But in all seriousness, I was actually pre-med at the time because I'm Indian and like, I feel like you're just born and you have to go down some sciencey pre-med track when you start school. And BU is really good for sciences and medicine. And I actually went with that in mind. Well, certainly financially, it is a reason that a lot of students decide to come here. So no worries about that. I don't necessarily want to hear about your first choice Ivy League, but um, I did want to hear more about your time at BU. Um, when you came in pre-med, but you ended up graduating with a degree in economics, if I have that right? Yep. Yes. How did that all change for you while you were here? Yeah. So I, funny enough, I lived in Warren Towers, uh, 15B, the all girls pre-med floor. So, you know, I was really invested in the pre-med track. Um, and I did, I did actually take all of the courses, but I had to fulfill a social sciences requirement. And I decided to take economics 101, uh, macroeconomics. And I found it to be very interesting. I thought it was a very practical and logical outlook on life. And I happened to be very good at it without having to try so hard, like I did for organic chemistry. And I was like, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should actually think about doing something else because in my mind, I was like, if I'm doing so well at something and I find it so interesting without having to try so hard, then to me, that's kind of like a green flag. Whereas a red flag is like when you're trying really, really hard and you're doing just okay, which is what I felt like I was doing. 
um, to, if I was very candid, going down the pre-med track. So I actually switched my major from bio to econ, and I went down a pre-law track because I learned the basic principles of law through uh, macro and microeconomics 101. And I thought like, hmm, you know, I would maybe I would be a really good lawyer because I like to talk a lot and I like to argue a lot. So, you know, I feel like those are two very good qualities that lawyers have. So I decided to go down the pre-law track. But um, as you can see now, I am neither a doctor or a lawyer. So clearly something happened throughout my uh, path towards um, both of these professions. So I ended up just graduating with, with an economics degree. And then I went into consulting actually at a boutique firm right. for law firms. So yeah. I tried to connect everything together. I, I do want to ask you more about that, but tell us more about your experience at BU outside of the classroom. You mentioned you lived in Warren Towers. Um, what other things were you doing Outside of being a student, where where were you hanging out on campus that we might have found you on a Friday night or, um, you know, were there other student organizations you were involved in or anything else that you think about when you think back to your, your BU days? Yeah, so I did a few things. Um, one thing I'm actually very proud of is a nonprofit organization that I started with my best friend at the time. Um, and I say at the time because then she transferred out of BU, um, <laughs> but we're still best friends. Uh, but we started an organization, our, I think the end of our freshman year called Keep a Child Alive, which was a nonprofit organization that was focused on um, raising funds to develop antiretroviral treatment for AIDS. And it was it was very um, interesting for me to do that because I was really invested in trying to get more involved in nonprofits and still am as like a fully grown adult now. And I thought it was very cool to be able to start a chapter for a nonprofit organization at such a big and vast school like BU. And so we had a lot of support from that, from especially from CAS and from my professors and also just the general community. So I used to hold fundraisers for that. We did a date auction. Um, so that was really fun. And I was also part of BUIC, which was the Boston University India Club. So I did a lot of the different like performances, like dance performances for Diwali and different like cultural moments. Um, I also did a lot of work study. So I had quite a few jobs while on campus and off campus. So I worked at a chiropractor's office. I worked at a travel agency and I worked at the alumni office. So I knew I, I was going to ask you Telefund. about that. <laughs> yeah. So I worked at Telefund and, you know, I would hit up all the alum and I'd be like, yo, like donate your money. <laughs> and so um, I had did that kind of pitch jobs. work. It, it did. You know, they were like, <laughs> you must be from Shaolin. I was like, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to see how many times we can talk about the Wu-Tang during this uh, episode. <laughs> so you mentioned you graduated degree in economics ended up working, having sort of a career in tech for a while, but when, and now you're doing, you know, chef, TV, author, where, where did food come into play for you in your life and your love for cooking? Was that when you were growing up? Yeah. So okay. the, was that always there with you? The love for food and eating and cooking starts way before BU. I'm sorry, BU. Uh, you were, you're not necessarily the genesis of that passion, but um, this does tie in in a very like interesting way. So I, 
I'm obviously first generation Indian American and I grew up on Staten Island. And if you know anything about Staten Island, it's no, no one really looks like me or my family there. Uh, so, you know, that could go one of two ways when you're little, you can try so hard to assimilate into your surroundings and not really embrace your culture because it's not like people were embracing our culture at the time. And so, you know, a lot of times we were made fun of for the food we brought in or, you know, even our religion or our culture, and it's not necessarily positive in that way. And so when you're little, you could feel like, hey, like, you know, I look different than everyone else and I feel different and I obviously eat different things. You know, maybe if I was more... American or not brown, maybe I can be accepted more. Um, that's one path. But then the other path is, you know, actually, I, I seek a lot of comfort in my culture. And when I come home and in the food that I eat and, you know, in our cultural values and our tradition, and I think I ended up kind of going down that path, not necessarily knowing like, oh, this is the path I'm choosing. But I did feel very comfortable at home with my family. I really enjoyed speaking our language, which is Kannada, it's a South Indian language. Like I really enjoyed our food. I enjoyed going to India every single year. So for me, a huge part of staying connected to my culture was through food and seeing my parents and especially my mom in the kitchen cooking. I'm the youngest of three girls. So I was always in the kitchen with her because she had to keep an eye on me. And um, I think I learned through osmosis like I just would sit there and, and watch her and see what she's doing and she would also actively involve us in things because she would need help and I then became so interested in cooking that I became obsessed with watching Food Network and like cooking shows and back then cooking shows were really just instructional it was just like you know a chef in the kitchen like a Bobby Flay or an Ina Garten and they're just teaching you how to cook you know it wasn't very competition orientated and I found it very fascinating because they were cooking a lot of things that we weren't cooking at home. But the other part of me found it fascinating because there was no one on TV that looked like me or looked like us or were making food like us. So I felt like, you know, we're making such interesting things at home. Like I started teaching myself the Western ways of cooking through TV and reading. And then obviously had the Eastern values and ways of cooking from home. And I sort of started combining those two and just kept cooking my whole life and I would cook for friends on campus like any of my friends who lived in Stuvie I did not have the pleasure or luxury of living in Stuvie but any of my friends who did they had a kitchen and so I would cook for them there and we would literally do dinner parties I would when I came home to Staten Island and go back to be I'd always come home back to school with food so it was truly part of who I was it was very important for me to always eat good food and very, very thoughtful about what I ate. So I really did like Noodle Street because it was cheap and it was a really good bang for your buck. I, I don't even know if it's still there. I, I think it's, it's still, still there. there and I still yeah. love it. Yep. Yeah. Noodle Street, Nud Pub. Like I, mm -hmm. I think I remember uh, one time my, my roommate and I, my best friend and I, we ordered from Bertucci's because we lived at Hojo and we told them we want four rolls and because they give you those rolls for free. And we were like, oh, we can make sandwiches with that later. We were like, we want four rolls. We go to pick up the order and there's literally two huge bags. And we were like, what is this? They were like, oh, you asked for 40 rolls. And we were like, uh, okay. And like, they didn't charge us for the rolls, but like, that is like 
I'm so food orientated. Like that memory is like, I'll never forget that because I was like, first of all, this is like Christmas for free. And second of all, as like, you know, a struggling college student, we literally like froze the rolls in our mini freezer. We like use them like all throughout the year. Like it was like the highlight of my semester. I had just told, I, I was at Bertucci's on Friday night and told uh, my family that that might be the best bread I've ever had in my life. It is. It's amazing. You should ask for 40 rolls, see if they give you. <laughs> I will. I will. All right. So you graduate BU and you launch this tech career and you're doing the food thing as a side hustle. And and I know that, that I had read that that's kind of how you got things started. At any point, were you thinking about trying to, to turn cooking into a career or was it just a passion project on the side? Yeah, I think I've always tried to careerize it, if that's even a word, uh, for a long time. I considered going to culinary school okay. uh, after high school, actually, um, and I chose not to because it was the same price as going to BU, for instance, but it was only cooking school, and I felt that that would be very risky. Um, and I started my blog after college because blogging was big then, and I felt like I had a lot to share. And for me, it was always a mission of like getting my cooking style and my story out there. And then when I realized like, hmm, I think I'm pretty good at this. Like I like doing it. I take good photos at the time for my blog. I feel like I come up with really interesting recipes and I felt like I was doing something different than everyone else. That's when I started actively auditioning for Food Network shows because I love being on camera and again, no one on TV still really doesn't really look like me or is offering this style of cooking. And I kept auditioning and I was rejected a lot. And then I finally got on on my third or fourth try and I became a Food Network champion after going mm -hmm. on that show and competing. And I think that's really when it helped launch my, my career as a chef because then I was like, I could do this. Like I'm self-taught. I've now set up myself as being very credible in the industry by, by winning this show. And I started gaining momentum from there. And I continued it as a side job because probably because I'm crazy, but no, but really because as someone who's independent and, and working and living on their own, and especially in New York or any major city, it's really hard to make a career and make money off of your creative passion. Like that is a fact. And so I couldn't be like, oh, I'm a Food Network champion now. I'm going to quit my job and at Condé Nast at the time and just go off and, you know, cook for a living. It just, there was no cooking for a living because I wasn't making money off of it yet. Yeah. So I started actively, seriously pursuing it after I won the Food Network show. So you're at Condé Nast when you finally uh, get a, get a, get cast out of an audition. Tell me what your life is like trying to balance those two things. I mean, you're working full time and you have this other side hustle passion project you're working on. Are you just going nonstop? Are you still making time for yourself? How do you, I mean, we have so many folks, I think in the alumni community, even our students that are doing the same thing. How do yeah. you, how do you coach other people about how to manage all that? So the one thing I like to tell people is uh, how do you value your time, right? And I'm sure people hear that a lot, but time is the one currency that you don't have control over, but you can control how you use it. And so for me, because I had and still have very lofty goals and I had certain goals in mind of at the time, like I want to write a book, I want to get on TV, I want to do like, I literally wrote down what my goals were and thought to myself, like, if 
I am to achieve these goals. Like these are the sacrifices I have to make. So I did sacrifice a lot of social outings and, you know, getting drunk on Friday nights or whatever, you know, the kids were doing back then. But I did make a lot of those sacrifices because the only time I had to cook or shoot videos or write for my blog were after work, right? Like when I came home from work and because there was no work from home then, right? Like you have to go to work every day. I would either try to sneak in some stuff during work hours, which don't tell them, but I tried to sneak in as much as I can. But I really spent a lot of my after hours and my weekends developing recipes, writing my blog. And for me, it doesn't wasn't really a chore because I enjoyed doing it. But I knew that I have to sacrifice these other things because I'm not superhuman, right? Like I'm not a superhero. I have, I'm a human being. I have a, a certain amount of time in my day and this is how I choose to use it. Um, I'm also probably more introverted than people think. I think most people who are in the spotlight are assuming that they're very extroverted and, you know, they love being around people all the time, but I am a little bit more introverted. And so I didn't mind actually taking the time to work on these projects on my own. Um, and I found that I recouped a lot of my energy through that process. So my best piece of advice is you don't have control over time, but you do have control over how we can use it. So it depends on what we want to prioritize. This episode is brought to you by BU Connects, Boston University's exclusive online platform for alumni and student networking, mentoring, and more. Explore the profiles of nearly 30,000 Terriers and see how they're willing to help. Join groups to network with members who share your city, industry, or interests. Share advice or mentorship with students in need. Promote your business in the alumni business directory or find jobs posted by and for the BU community. Activate your free profile today at buconnects.com. So I read an article about you that was in Business Insider, a fascinating story. So after Condé Nast, you actually end up working at Twitter for a while. And I saw in there that one of the reasons you went to Twitter was that they were going to allow you to have time for your side business. Um, tell, can, what can you tell us about your Twitter experience? And um, I, you had told me the other day, were laid off in 2022. I, I just want to hear about how that impacted you, all of those things. Yeah. So I think one thing that was very important for me is working at a place that valued and appreciated what I did for myself and what brought me happiness. And when I was at previous companies, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like I had a manager one time prior to Twitter, uh, tell me like, oh, I wish you were as passionate here as you are with Chef Priyanka. And I was like, what? how is that even a comparison? Like I built Chef Priyanka from the ground up. Like, and if I'm here at this job doing what I'm supposed to do and going above and beyond and I'm a top performer, then what are you complaining about? So to be honest, that kind of pissed me off. And I wanted to make sure that whatever company I went to next, really appreciated what I did and also supported it. Obviously, like I'm doing my work at the company, like I'm not slacking off, but appreciated it, supported it and, and valued it. And it's honestly a little bit hard to find that. And I made sure that when I interviewed with Twitter, I was like, hey, like, I'm sure you know that I do this chefing thing on the side. Like they could see me all over social media and on the internet. It wasn't, a, you know, a secret. I was like, so I just hope that, you're aware that I do this and that you're, you'll be supportive of it because 
this is this is a huge passion of mine and it really does bring me happiness so um they said yeah like you know if you're if you're doing everything you need to do at work and not taking work hours to do what you're doing. And I also filled out one of those um, conflict of interest things at work to make sure that everything I was doing was, you know, in line with what I do at work um, and not competing, then like, we're good to go. So I did all of that and they respected that. So I had a lot of respect for them for doing that because I haven't received that in the past. Um, so I was able to manage kind of what I was doing for a very long time until I was laid off, mm -hmm. um, which is not a way that anyone wants to end their over decade long career, but it really had nothing to do with my performance. I was a top performer at the company. I, I managed a huge bulk of our business for our API. And so it was just a change in leadership and, I was already planning my exit strategy. So I was like, all right, well, you made the decision for me. So goodbye. So you're planning your exit strategy to go full full investment in Chef Priyanka. Correct. You, while you're at Twitter, is that when you published your, your book? Yes. Okay. Yes, I published it while at Twitter and during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, what? Tell me about the modern Tiffin. I, uh, I read a little bit about it, but can you explain what Tiffin is and, and what that represents? Yeah, so it's actually, I mean, I could physically show you a Tiffin if you want, but it, it, yeah. it is a Tiffin is this steel stack container set. Um, it is meant to carry food for lunch or for dinner. Um, and this Tiffin actually in particular is a Tiffin that was, I think, given to my parents during their wedding. So it's like engraved. It has their name on it and date. So like a lot of Indian families, you'll see that with a lot of steel and silver um, cutlery at their home. But it's basically a way to make food portable. And that was a very important concept that I grew up with because my mom packed our lunch every day to school. When I entered the workforce, I packed my lunch every day to work because I was vegetarian at the time. And I also didn't want to spend $20 on a salad. And um, people can also buy, um, be very gluttonous when they're hungry and have limited time. So I wanted to avoid all of those things. So I would constantly bring my lunch to work. And it's also very eco-friendly to do that. It minimizes waste. Um, you're reusing something. It's also a much healthier option. So there's so many benefits to it. So I really wanted to bring that sort of lifestyle and culture to people through the form of a book, my book, The Modern Tiffin. Um, and it's all vegan. So all of the recipes in the book are vegan. I'm vegan. And there's a lot of low waste, eco-friendly recipes because um, I'm sure you saw, like I'm very obsessed with living a uh, low waste, eco-friendly life as much as I can. And a lot of that I've learned through my culture. And I hope to instill that in not only my generation and future generations, but really the American culture and way of living. I think there's a long way to go to improve. So, sure. so while this is all happening, you're at Twitter, you publish the book, you also um, find out that in 2021, you win the Boston University Distinguished Young Alumni Award, um, obviously recognizing your achievements even before you, you know, went full bore in, into the food world. Um, what did that mean for you? I mean, it's pretty early on in your career. You talked about feeling like, you know, you had concerns about credibility. Maybe there's a little bit of imposter syndrome in there. Um, is that in any way help you have more confidence and feel great about where things are heading? Yeah, I think winning the Young Alumni Award was honestly 
one of the biggest honors I've received because I know the type of people I went to school with. And I even said this in my speech and accepting it, like I felt that everyone I went to school with was so much smarter than me, right? Like they had much better grades. They were all becoming surgeons or lawyers. Like, like I really looked up to a lot of people I went to school with. So the fact that I was receiving this honor was like, I literally received the letter in the mail and I thought it was spam. Like Mm -hmm. I thought it was a joke. And I sent it to, I sent a photo of it to my family. And my dad was like, Bree, it says it's from the president's office at BU. I don't think this is a joke. And I'm like, but this is like, I just couldn't believe it because I was like, I certainly did not, you know, graduate with super high GPA. Like, um, but then I, you know, realized that not everything is a numbers game and not everything is just about, okay, well, you know, I'm a doctor and I have a 4.0 and, you know, here I am and this is what I'm doing, not to discount anyone who's doing that. But I think it's more about taking the risks to do what you truly are passionate about. And I think receiving the Young Alumni Award really helped validate that for me and solidify that. But also it provides hope to, I think, especially the younger generations or kids who are looking to go to school or already in in school at BU or anywhere that you don't have to necessarily follow a traditional path. And you don't have to be, you know, valid Victorian of your school to be doing the things that you want to do in a very thoughtful and passionate way. Like, I think just my path to even publishing a book and getting my agent, like, I, you probably, I don't even know if you're aware that my literary agent was a BU alum and she did her master's at BU and she found me in the uh, Bostonia magazine in like the notes section in the back, like eight years ago. And so nothing is too big or too small. And I felt that kind of getting that award really helped bring everything in perspective and also come full circle. And I think it's very important to showcase that people who are are doing, I think what I'm doing is cool. So people who I feel like are doing cool things out there, you should be honored for, for what you're doing if you're trying to make a difference and pursuing what you really love. So, so I felt really, really cool (laughs) receiving (laughs) that honor. Oh, you should. And congratulations. All right. So the Twitter layoff happens, but you're already planning your exit strategy. What was the plan? And what do, what do you do that first day after you've got Twitter in your rearview mirror? What are How are you like making decisions about your future at that point? So in all honesty, it was very weird. Um, I think when you're when you've worked as long as I did and you worked that sort of crazy life, like I led a very rigorous structured, intense life. Like I don't recommend that lifestyle for someone if you're not, you know, if you don't have thick skin and you're not cut out for having very late nights and really just grueling hours. And when you take a huge part of that away, it's honestly bizarre. Like it feels weird. You're like, oh, so I don't have that responsibility to set up those meetings or meet with those clients or report on this or do this. Like, it's very weird to not have responsibility. You feel a little bit empty. And I think that was a feeling that I had to work through and I didn't really expect it because everyone was like, oh my God, you got like, you know, you got what you wanted. And I'm like, 
yeah, kind of, but like now it's like, okay, I'm not responsible for this huge chunk. So I have to make my own schedule. I have to almost create my own motivation to do my projects because something that I think people may not be aware of is when you're working in this creative field, it's not necessarily like you have deadlines, right? Unless you're writing a book and you owe a manuscript and you have brand deals, but like there's no real deadlines. You're making your own deadlines. And I think that's almost the most difficult thing to work with as like a type A person who's been in the workforce for so long. Everyone else was always setting deadlines for me. And now I'm setting my own deadlines and structure. And it took me quite a few months to to develop that working structure and to get used to it and to find comfort and satisfaction in that, right? So it was very weird is is the best word I can use to to kind of share how I felt about it. But now it's okay because I've I've now worked on projects that I wouldn't have been able to work on before. Like the UAE government invited me to the Sharjah Book Festival, which was like their biggest book festival they have a year. And they invited me as uh, one of the top 10 chefs to come and cook and do a book signing and, you know, take a week and do that. And I would have never been able to do that had I, you know, still had a job, uh, you know, a regular traditional job. And, you know, I took my mom with me. And to me, like, that was a very cool experience because I'm like, okay, this validates my decision, right? It makes me feel good about what I'm doing. Like, I think I'm doing the right thing. So sometimes you need some of those experiences and projects to come up or you have to work towards those projects to make you feel satisfied and okay with the decisions that you've made. I was thinking about that as we were getting ready to chat today, you know, it's understandable that you have this love for cooking and love for food and love for educating people about sustainability and animal rights and and all of those things. But then you also are a brand, right? And uh, do you find yourself wishing you had more time just for the cooking and the love of food? Or do you, you mentioned earlier an introvert, um, but here you've got this responsibility to your fans on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. And how do you, how do you balance that? I think now I'm more, um, I'm more casual about actually like how I film. Like there's, if you follow me, you'll see like I post all sorts of things. It's not always just buttoned up recipe videos. It's a lot of like, this is what I made for lunch. And like, I'm not dressed up. I'm probably in a robe and like I'm normal. And I think that when you take that pressure off a little bit, then it becomes a little bit more fun. Obviously for a brand deal, like, I'm not going to be in a robe and be schlepping around like unshowered. <laughs> like I'm going to look good. But I think for the purpose of me creating content and just sharing with people what I do, I took a little bit of that pressure off. And I think that has helped me have fun with it as I like to have fun with it and why why this whole industry has sort of drawn me into it. Um, but I also do like being glamorous and getting dressed up and attending events and kind of sharing who I am and the brand that I am. But then again, because I'm introverted, I'm like, all right, like I've been to the event, now I'm gonna go home. Like, like I'm good. I think if I'm right, it's been about a year since you've been just full-time focused on Chef Priyanka and, and all of that, all of what that entails. Uh, what are the things that you're working on right now that you're most excited about? And I'm curious, I mean, is this having had that year, is this your calling? Is this where you see yourself spending the rest of your career? Um, 
I hope so. I think so. November 4th marked exactly a year, which is crazy. Um, and I think since then, like a lot definitely has happened. I did my first TEDx talk. I've done several pop-ups this year. Um, I actually attended my first Humane Society Gala this past Friday, which like the Humane Society, obviously their whole objective is like saving animals in the US and across the world. So it's very close to my heart. I'm working on submitting my second book proposal. So um, I think there's definitely a lot in the works and um, I'm working towards like doing more TV and getting like working on developing my own show. And I'm actually working on my first documentary, which we actually filmed Last year, while well, I still had a job and everything, we filmed oh, in wow. Maldives. We're in post-production right now. Um, so I think there's there's quite a few things going on. And with this line of work, unfortunately or fortunately, it's very different from like the traditional tech or, or, or day jobs or desk jobs in the sense that a lot of things take a lot of time, right? Like, and that's the one quality that I've had to really work on is having more patience because I have no patience just as a human being. And this career has taught me, like, I just have to have patience. Like things are not going to happen overnight. So there are quite a few projects and things in the work. And I hope to obviously continue doing more. Um, but I would say like my main goals are getting that second book out there, um, getting like my own full-time TV show. And I think um, they're more within reach than they were, let's say, a couple years ago. So it's just a matter of like continue working towards that. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to see where it all goes. Um, one of the things we're going to be doing on season three of the Proud to Be You podcast is actually uh, allowing some of our audience members to ask questions. And so we've got a question uh, that uh, a current student, Matthew Lutkins, uh, who's a CAS 2025 I know oh how you my god! That. Yeah, um, but Don't he's got a question for me. you. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Hi, I'm Matt, an economics and sociology student in the College of Arts and Sciences, and I'm proud to be you. If you had to start your career over again, what would you do, and what would you do differently? That's a great question. I probably would have listened to my parents earlier and pursued my cooking career much earlier yeah indian parents pushing me to do this right like i i think that there is a bit of imposter syndrome that everyone has um whether you're young or or old or wherever you are in your life i think everyone always has within themselves especially when you really care about something like oh like can i do it like i don't know if i could do it and so i think honestly had i started my blog earlier even before college or during college or if I started doing videos even two years earlier than what I started I think I probably would have maybe gotten just a little bit further than I was am today but to be honest everything happens when it's supposed to happen I am a big believer in that so I don't know if I would have done too much differently because I really have tried my level best throughout these years and will continue to do so. Oh, great advice. So you mentioned Instagram. I, I took a look at your your account and there's some amazing stuff on there, but where, where do you want people to go and, and see more of your work and uh, where can people pick up your book and all those things? So I think the best place is, is literally anywhere on social, like I'm an oversharer. So Instagram and TikTok, 
I would say are the best best places. My website, chefpriyanka.com is a great place to get written recipes, but also just learn more about my um my updates and I always do a yearly recap so on December 31st you'll see a recap of the 23 things I've accomplished in 2023 so as each year goes I sort of do it with the year um and the best place to get my book is anywhere books are sold I would support indie bookstores if you can I do think the BU Barnes and Nobles bookstore does sell my book and if you want a good deal on the book, then Amazon is the best place. It's like 35% off right now. So it makes a really great gift. But I think being able to support uh, new authors and first-time offers is always really valuable. And um, I think if you had my book in your hand, then it's almost like you're talking to me and I want people to feel like they're in the kitchen with me cooking. So hopefully it makes a great gift for yourself or a loved one. Awesome. Well, it was great to have you share your story with us. Uh, thanks so much, Chef. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. My thanks again to Priyanka for joining me and for finally giving me a chance to talk about the Wu-Tang Clan on this podcast. Be sure to follow her at Chef Priyanka on Instagram. Pick up her book at an independent retailer near you. And if you heard something today that makes you proud to be you, I hope you'll join me by making your impact with a donation to the area at Boston University that means the most to you at bu.edu slash give. Thanks for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your episodes. How to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University and our partners, Five Tool Productions, a BU alumni-owned, Boston-based company specializing in video production, live streaming, and content marketing. Our theme from artist.io is Think About Lights by Ben Fox. All additional media in this episode has been shared by our guest. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash proud to be you.